Merry Christmas, everyone. Today is the day we celebrate the birth of the one who would set us free. Today, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And though we wrapped up our Christmas series, Behold, at our Christmas Eve service, I have the privilege of doing like a little bonus episode with you today, looking at Jesus becoming the sacrifice. Which, you know, Jesus becoming a sacrifice is probably a concept we would usually more associate with Easter. But did you know that the sacrifice Jesus would make is also a part of the Christmas story? It's there in one of the most beautiful and profound ways, but we often totally miss it. The Christmas story is one uh, that you're likely familiar with, and many of us would feel that we know it inside and out. You know, there's this young woman named Mary who's told she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, and inconveniently, around the time she is due, her and her husband Joseph have to leave home and head to Joseph's ancestral home of Bethlehem so he can be counted in a mandatory Roman census. And when they get to Bethlehem, there's no room anywhere for them to stay. So Mary ends up giving birth to Jesus in a stable. And there's a shining star in the sky and angels who sing and celebrate and shepherds who come to see Jesus and, and a whole lot more. But there's an aspect of the Christmas story that I really love that maybe isn't so familiar. A part of the story that when I came to know it, it truly blew me away. And I would love to briefly share it with you today. And it's found in the part of the Christmas story when the angels declare the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Have a read of it with me. It's, it's found in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And the verses will be on the screen as well if you want to follow along. It says this. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, uh, had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, this is such a cool passage of, of the joy and excitement the birth of Jesus brought about. You know, the Savior of the world was finally here. But have you ever read this part of the story and wondered, why shepherds? Of all the people that God could have sent these angels to to declare the birth of his son, why these random shepherds? Surely there would be people with more influence to tell first, right? And the events of Jesus' birth was one that God indicated would take place right back from the beginning, right back when Adam and Eve first walked away from God. There had been plenty of time to prepare, so surely there is a reason why God chose to declare this good news to these specific shepherds. Well, 
that's that's right that's exactly what's going on this wasn't random or last minute it was strategic and purposeful and neither is the image that i chose to be the background for this message you see this piece was painted by thomas cole in 1834 and if you look in the background of this image you'll notice there is a tower up on the hill behind the shepherds and this isn't just added to enhance the picture it is a tower that was actually there, known as Migdal Eder, which translates to Tower of the Flock. And this tower, it was situated near the town of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, uh, to help watch over the sheep in the surrounding fields. And it's very, very old. It's actually mentioned in books of the Bible, like Genesis, as well as, Mal as, well as Micah. And so the shepherds, they would use this to keep an eye on their sheep. But the sheep that were kept in these fields weren't just ordinary sheep. You see, as we explored a little in our recent series through Malachi, before Jesus came, the Jewish people would make animal sacrifices to God to essentially say, hey, I've messed up in so many ways and I can't undo the effects of my actions, which deserve serious consequences, so please, God, take this animal as a substitute for me. Take the sacrifice in my place. And in Jewish tradition, the sheep kept in these fields around the tower were used for some of the specific regular sacrifices at the temple. And so these shepherds are spending the night watching over the sheep that would one day be used as substitutionary sacrifices. And suddenly a host of angels appear and declare the one who is going to save the people from their sins is here. He has arrived. He has been born in Bethlehem. And what that meant is that pretty soon all the sheep in these fields would no longer be necessary for sacrifices. No more sacrifices would have to be made because Jesus himself would become the ultimate substitute, the ultimate sacrifice. He would start his life in a little wooden manger, and one day he would give his life on a wooden cross. And on that cross, he would take on all of everyone's sin as a substitute so that we would be seen as perfect and holy, even though we're not. Man, what a powerful statement being made by God to these shepherds, right? This is strategic and this is purposeful. You know, I'm going to send angels to the shepherds of the sacrificial sheep and I'm going to tell them that the Savior is here. But what I think is even cooler about this whole story and this whole situation is the shepherds, they don't even know this yet. In the Jewish mind, the, the Messiah, the Savior, he would be like a great military leader who would come and free them from Roman oppression. They had no idea, or more so, they had totally misunderstood that the Savior would have to come to sacrifice himself. And so this moment is like God dropping a hint of what's to come that in hindsight would be so clear, but right now in this moment, the shepherds have no idea. God is like the ultimate storyteller. It's like one of those movies like The Book of Eli, if you've ever seen it, which, if you don't mind a bit of intense action, it's a great movie with a cool Christian connection, um, where there's a, a twist at the end, and there's been clues to this twist the whole way along, but the first time around, you don't pick up on it. And when it's revealed, you're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. And so the shepherds here, right, they would have been so excited to hear this news that the Messiah had come, but they had no idea what it really meant and why specifically they were the ones being told this good news. But God creates this beautiful picture by sending angels to these shepherds of the sacrificial sheep to declare that the ultimate sacrifice had come. And that's the thing. 
You know, the shepherds, they weren't aware of what the Messiah coming totally entailed, that he would have to sacrifice himself. But that has always been the message. It's the message of the Easter story, yes, uh, but it's also the message of the Christmas story. And in fact, it's really the story of the entire Bible. I mentioned earlier that Jesus' coming was something indicated way back, even when Adam and Eve first walked away from God. You know, as God curses Satan for deceiving Adam and Eve, he pronounces that one day one of Eve's offspring would defeat him, but also he would strike her offspring. And in the book of Isaiah, there's an entire chapter that prophetically speaks to the sacrifice that Jesus would have to make. And so, you know, God has been so keen, so desperate to reconnect with us like he originally designed us to relate to him, that he continuously drops hints right from the beginning of what he's going to do to make that possible, which is that he himself would come in human form and give his life to be the ultimate sacrifice. I know that some people aren't a fan of how others start celebrating Christmas right from the beginning of December with Christmas music and decorations and more, uh, but I reckon it's a really cool parallel of God's eager expectation of coming himself to make things right. As we eagerly celebrate the coming of Christmas through the month of December, we see God eagerly looking forward to and speaking of the day when he would come and reconnect us to him again. And so for us, and for God, Christmas Day is so much more than just the birth of Jesus. It's also about what the birth of Jesus would mean, what it would lead to, which is life. Life for me, life for you, life for anyone who believes that Jesus sacrifices life for the forgiveness of their sins. And so what do we do in response to this? I know that you've got a busy Christmas day ahead of you and likely a packed summer as well. So, so what can we do amongst all that? Well, I just really love the shepherd's response. You know, it says this, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then we see, you know, that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They may not have had the full picture of what it meant that the Savior had come, but it didn't matter. They were excited about it, and so they immediately told others about it, and they praised God for it. This is good news. It's really good news. And so we've got to share it. We've got to share it. We've got to tell others about it. And so, you know, we could get into the technicalities of how exactly you do that, but again, I recognize that you've likely got places to be, so I won't. But at this point, I also don't think we need to. You know, it's funny how nervous we can get, um, including myself, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, how do I say it to where it doesn't come across weird? Or how do I word it to where it's clear and convincing? And what if they respond poorly? Or uh, I don't know what to say back to them. And, and it can feel like a, a daunting thing to share this good news. But I'm pretty sure that these shepherds wouldn't have been educated men and unlikely not gifted communicators, but they didn't let that stop them. They had good news to share, and so that's what they did. They shared it. You know, as, as me and, and Reuben recently reflected over the teaching of the past year, there's something we've noticed that's been really interesting. 
in our teaching this past year, there have been some uh, difficult passages to preach in places like Malachi where God's plan is spelled out, and that includes great things like his salvation, but also more difficult areas to discuss, such as God's judgment, which is also a great thing, but often just a harder concept to grasp. And beforehand, we feel nervous. You know, how, how will this come across? How will people respond? Is this going to put people off? But did you know that it has been following those messages that we have always had the greatest response? The greatest response in needing prayer, the greatest response in people coming to know Jesus, the greatest response in a keenness to be baptized, the greatest response in people receiving pastoral care. You know, beforehand, we're like, oh man, this passage is a fairly difficult one. I, I hope I'm able to communicate it in a way that makes sense. I hope people aren't too put off, but they aren't. They aren't. People respond because this good news changes lives, even if there are parts of it that are difficult to understand. And so I wouldn't worry too much about technique and tactic. As human beings, we're created to be in relationship with God. Whether we know it or not, we long to be in relationship with Him. And so we might be surprised by how often and how many people respond positively to the gospel message even if we feel like we didn't do a great job representing it or if parts of it are difficult to receive. The gospel, the good news, it is life-changing. It's what many are looking for. But of course, the most important part of sharing God's good news is the involvement of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to be nervous about sharing this good news because it is the Spirit that brings about life change, not just the words that we say. Going back to that example of preaching, it is often the messages I don't feel are my best that people respond to. And I've often found that it has been messages that haven't necessarily stuck out to me, where as I'm sitting and listening to them, I suddenly feel a sense of God's presence, and I'm overwhelmed by emotion as I feel God speak. This news is good news, and it doesn't matter how great of a communicator we are, or even if we seem a little weird for sharing it, we just have to trust that if we do share it, there will be those who respond as God's Spirit works in them. And I know that doesn't happen every day, and often relationship and invitation can play important parts in sharing our faith. So I don't want you to beat yourself up about it if um, you know that doesn't happen all the time for you, and that you don't feel like you get many of those opportunities. But if we do get an opportunity, let's, like the shepherds, shamelessly share the good news we have come to know that Jesus has given his life as a sacrifice so that we may regain ours. And also, let's, like the shepherds, praise and glorify God for this good news we have come to know. Maybe you want to praise God for it as you pray together before sharing Christmas lunch or dinner together today, or give him praise and glory as we wrap up together in a moment with one more song. But like the shepherds, let's just celebrate and glorify God for what? He has done. And if you're watching today and you haven't begun a relationship with God, then today is a great day to do that. Which all I mean by starting a relationship with God is what, is what it says in Romans chapter 10. It says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you believe that, if you declare that, that's where it all begins. You are in a relationship with God. You are forgiven of your sins and seen as holy. As I said at the beginning, today is a day 
that we celebrate the birth of the one who came to set us free. And so what a great day to believe and be set free. Today we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one who God for thousands of years proclaimed would come and give his life as a sacrifice so no more sacrifices would have to be made. The one who would reconnect us with God who made us and loves us. And so as we go about our Christmas day and into the new year, let's praise him for this good news. Let's tell others about this good news and come to know this good news for ourselves if we don't know it already. Have a great Christmas, everybody.